0: bring it back to me. They stripped it away from me when I went to boot camp. I wasn't even allowed to refer to myself in the first person. Okay, now I need to get that little bit of me and bring it back inside me. Welcome to the Stigma Free Vet Zone podcast. Our mission is to help veterans and their family members transition from military to civilian life and culture. As best we can, we avoid stigmatizing names and terms. We feature conversations with those who have encountered unexpected reactions in their journey, including nightmares, rage, and isolation. Participants in our segments share experiences that make them uniquely qualified to join the quest to identify, understand, and resolve these enormous life challenges.
1: Stigma-Free Vet Zone is brought to you by the Orban Foundation for Veterans. Learn more by visiting the OrbanFoundationForVeterans.org and donations are always welcome at the OrbanFoundationForVeterans.org slash donate. Thank you for embarking on this educational journey with the Stigma Free Vet Zone podcast. Here's today's segment.
2: Hi, and thank you for joining us for Stigma Free Vet Zones podcast. Today's episode, I'm being joined with uh, Sergeant Kim Pope of the United States Marine Corps. My name is Aaron Troffnagle, and I want to say thank you, Kim, for joining us here on the podcast. Yeah, it's my pleasure. My pleasure to be here. Awesome. So tell us a little bit about who you are before the service, before everything else, your background, a little bit about your family life, you know, where are you from, siblings, sports, were you in music, all that kind of good stuff?
0: Okay. Well, I'll start with where I'm from. I'm a Southern girl through and through. Um, But I have moved around quite a bit. My father was active duty Marine Corps for most of my life. Um, And so we had opportunity to go from places like Tennessee to California, I think from there to Hawaii, from Hawaii to where I currently live now in North Carolina. Um, So I've seen a lot of things as a child. And then As I grew up and, you know, went to high school, I got into all kinds of different programs, but my biggest program um, was band. I started band when I was in sixth grade. My parents wanted us to do some kind of extracurricular activity. And because my older sister chose band, it just made sense that I did. Um, And so I chose band and I had one of the absolute best teachers on the planet and his name is Matt Bottoms. He was a, the most amazing music teacher because he didn't just teach you music. He taught you life lessons. Um, I was fortunate to have him for sixth, seventh and eighth grade and then high school up until my junior year. Wow. Um, the man was a huge influence on me. He always rallied behind me. He always supported me even when I was wrong. Um, he correct me, but he would support the idea behind why I did what I did. Um, and so then things were moving along, and I ended up um, pregnant my senior year of high school. We were going into uh, that summer, twin junior and senior year we were going in to do summer workshop for band, and I had found out, and I had to be dropped from the program because I was a liability. So that really rocked my world. Like, it changed everything for me. Um, I was in a situation where it wasn't, it wasn't a bad situation to be in because I had parents that were there even if they weren't happy. But it changed my perspective in a way and it made me grow up in a way that that I don't think I would have ever considered doing prior to that. My daughter, my oldest daughter who is now 29 years old and I'm so damn proud of her, was at my high school graduation. That's awesome. Um I still managed to graduate pretty high in a percentage when it came down to it too so I'm I was pretty proud of myself about that but I faced challenges that not necessarily another 18 year old would have had to face um you know I ended up getting married several times (laughs) and I it. I giggle about it now because like you know, I am who I am because of my life experience. I'm not embarrassed about anything that I've ever done in my life, even if they were not
2: the brightest decisions in the world. Some Sometimes those uh, rougher decisions make us a little bit of a better yeah. human.
0: Yeah. I mean, they, they just kind of, they fine tune you just a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, and then uh, let's see. That second marriage, because let's be real, I've been married to my husband for 15 years this June, but he is my fourth husband. Um, I had a lot of low self-esteem issues. Um, There was a lot of effect from getting pregnant at such an early age, wanting to please people and other adults in my life. And in my head, the way to do that was to get married and have a husband and have a real family. And I didn't even love myself. So, um, my relationships reflected that. i I chose men that weren't necessarily people I should have chosen um, as life partners. And so, you know, like I said, there's no regret in my life because if I had changed even an inkling of what I've gone through, I wouldn't be who I am right now. Um, but when I was married to my second husband, that's when I decided. To join the Marine Corps. I was sick and tired of him getting all the paychecks. You know, I knew what the Marine Corps life was about. I knew what I was getting into. So there was really not even any point in me questioning it. In fact, I pulled a fast one on my recruiter. Um I went to the recruiting station and I spoke to him, and uh he kept saying he was gonna come out to the house. And so when he came out to the house, I uh, didn't bother to tell him about the fact that I was married to a Marine or that I have a father that's Marine.
2: (laughs) I'm already picturing this in my head. Like this poor little recruiter is like, I'm I'm going to get the, you know, I'm going to help this girl get in the Marine Corps. Don't you feel bad for him? He
0: speaks (laughs) to me
2: like every
0: recruiter I've ever
2: met. Uh. I just want to be a fly on the wall to see his facial reaction, oh, walk into man, a house like no. that and go, yeah. your dad's a mastery gunner sergeant. Like <laughs> 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 you
0: know, I got him back. He shouldn't have told me I could have been in an oh, MOS I wanted to, because I was a weight recruit. So <laughs> <laughs> there was no way I was I was going open contract no matter what. <laughs> um but yeah, that first trip over to the house was was quite entertaining.
2: <laughs> so, what year did you actually join then? I went into the ring court in nineteen ninety eight. Ninety eight. Okay. March night so, before nine eleven. After Desert Storm. Mm-hmm. So you're kind of in a peaceful time. Yeah. I mean, it's not like you're joining like myself, who joined right after nine eleven. I went in in two thousand two, and it's just one of those like it was a totally different environment. It was a totally different mindset. We knew going in, I mean, I'd already started the process, but then nine 11 happened and everything else. And y- you go in and, and it was just, you knew what was up. Like you're like, I'm joining post nine odds are really good that I'm going to deploy. So you went in, in a kind of a peacetime, Yeah. A peace time. very
0: strange timing too. Um, And just a little anecdote there. My dad and I joined the Marine Corps at the same age. He was 24 and I was 24. So, like, it was a very odd time in my life to do it, but I think it was something that I needed to do to grab a hold of the reins and get get control of Ken. Mm. Um, This is, you got to remember, this is my early 20s. I've already experienced having a child, but then actually, I already experienced having two children because. my first marriage, I had a baby as well at 22. So, you know, like I've done things at 24 that these other girls at 18 are looking at me thinking I'm, I'm like them and we are not the same. (laughs) We're just not. Um, but yeah, boot camp. Wow. My, my, um, my platoon and my sister platoon, we were the first ones to have to run the three miles. Yeah, back in the day, back in the stone age, when we invented the wheel, there was this thing called Mile and a Half PFT for women.
2: Oh, no. Yeah.
0: Mm. No, that uh, changed with us. And so we thought we were like, you know, Billy really Badass because, ooh, look at us. We're changing standard. That was the beginning of the change of standard for women. It really was. It was, it was a, uh, um, it was a, an amazing time to be a woman and be in the Marine Corps. You know, you still had some of the things that, that we'll continue to, we'll be discussing soon enough, but um, for the most part, to go into the Marine Corps, man, I felt like a badass after the crucible. Oh, and it was the crucible. It was the first crucible
2: round, too. Oh, gone. you got to do crucible? Okay, yeah. so for anybody listening who doesn't understand um, what crucible is, it's kind of like the fi- the final stage of boot camp, um, so when you join the Marine Corps, you go through all of the indoctrination and you go through all the training, you go through the, the classes and the learn to march and the learn to shoot and da, da 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 da. But the end is this culmination thing called the crucible. Now, when I went through it and I don't know about you, Kim, but when I went through it, it was like three days of no sleep, like 60 some miles. You get like, I don't know, four meals mm-hmm. of your, on your own to kind of disperse amongst the three days you are cold, tired. For us, it was the rainy season. So the the water was over my boots. Like it was up to my knees and I'm six foot tall standing barefoot. So I kind of felt bad for the short girls. Um, but it was, the crucible is a big, big deal, especially in the Marine Corps. Cause that at the end of it traditionally is when you're granted your very first Eagle Globe and anchor, which is the insignia of the Marine Corps. And you are officially given the title of Marine. So it's a, it's a big deal. So that's really cool that you were like, you're we're the first way for me. Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah.
0: And, and so like, there's a lot of things that that as a female Marine were first, um, I tried to push at one point in my career because my career, my actual career was fairly short. I, I'm all one enlistment sergeant. Um, that's still awesome though. I busted my buns to get that though. Like I really worked hard, but it made sense because I was like a cog in a wheel when it came to the Marine Corps, having mm-hmm. had the experience before, like I'm, I'm making hospital corners on that bed as a child thinking that's the only way anybody makes a bed. I don't understand. Uh, when you just throw the sheet up there and call it thing, you know, like I know as an adult now that like it goes, if, if, if you put it where it goes and you'll find it when you look for it, it's just like those were things that were trained and shown to me as a child. Um, and so, yeah, here I go when I have this boot camp experience and I'm feeling badass because we've humped all the way back. It was like 65 miles, 64, 65 miles, something like that. We've humped back and we're exhausted. And we get there and we get on the parade deck. And there is nothing, nothing like the pride you feel when you get on that parade deck and they go from recruit to Marine as they pass you that EGA. I'm thinking about it right now, getting goosebumps and a little teary-eyed because there's just this moment where, oh my God. You're so happy to be a part of this. You're so elated that you did it. You challenge yourself in a way that you've never thought you could challenge yourself. You know, Marine Corps boot camp is the I don't know, line mind busting chops other services. Don't get upset, but Marine Corps boot camp is the only boot camp that you go through. Where if you go to another branch of service, you don't go through boot camp. Mm-hmm. It's thirteen weeks of pure robotic now. Okay, it's there for a reason, Mm -hmm. but it's not an easy task. So to stand on that parade tech and say, I did it. effing did this. Mm -hmm. I can't believe it. Like there's just, there's a pride there. And then they go and they take you to the damn, to the damn channel. And they feed you this warrior's feast. All the things that you couldn't have the whole 13 weeks you were there and lobster tail and just it's
2: amazing amazing. i remember i remember the warriors breakfast after the crucible as this like the spread to end all spreads of food, and it's coming out of a cafeteria and you're like this is amazing
0: right and i mean and i'm like
2: and i think the coolest thing for me is i got orange juice oh i
0: know like and i'm like because i've had nothing but water
2: for See, I'm I'm right there with you. I sat on the edge of that that weight limit thing the whole time, simply because of my height.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: And and I look at it and I go that day, I'm like I had like two glasses of orange juice. I was like, I this is epic. <laughs> like I am a badass, and I'm eat, I, I, all I want is damn orange juice. Like it, it's know. that, it's that stupid simple thing that but it's like, sweet I, did it. I did it. I did it. I earned this juice, not you know, what was it?
0: It, wasn't that what they were giving us? Was it jungle juice? The little ones when we go like
2: to the rain? Oh. oh, they had, I don't even know what it was. It was they like, it was gross.
0: It was like, gross. Colored water. It's gross, gross. But then the hard right. the
2: boils were banging. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So a little anyway. bit. Okay. So now you, you've set, I mean, you, your platoon and, and the time that you served and, and went in as a woman really kind of set the tone for a lot of the, the, the females like me who followed behind you, you mm-hmm. know, you were the first ones to go through and endure the crucible. You mm-hmm. were the first ones to do and, and run the PF, like uh, the full run for the PFT. Now, as times have gone on times um for you know what qualifies as passing has changed and it is getting closer it's still not equal to men um on their times but it is getting closer every time they make revisions um to the point that now women are required to do pull-ups as well nice yeah so that was actually in my term when i came in was uh we were one of the last groups to go through that was allowed to do the arm hang and then behind mm-hmm. us was the women coming in that uh, started to have to do pull-ups. Right. So tell us a little bit about your service. So when you get out of when you get out of boot camp, I mean, I'm assuming your father came to boot camp graduation. Oh yes. Yeah. To see his his little girl march with Absolutely. pride across that parade trick. And Absolutely. I'm sure he was he was I'm sure not slouching. Brilliant. And he was probably beaming from ear to ear. Brilliant. Well first of
0: all, my ex-husband picked up Sergeant while I was there. And I didn't know anything about it. So, like, and I've mentioned a couple times I was a weight recruit. Girl, I mm-hmm. lost so much weight in boot camp. that I walked by him. He didn't recognize me. He did not know who I was. And so, like, of course, my parents show up. And they're, my dad's all decked out in his uniform. And he's got basically a cardboard box-type chest.
2: He's got a um, stack. Chest
0: ridiculousness <laughs> from all the ribbons and whatnot. And, um, and that's when my drill instructors found out that uh, my dad was master guns. That was fun. My senior, he had a good conversation together. But then we moved on, and then um, I went to MCT. Of course, I went on, mm-hmm. and then I went to MCT. Then from MCT, I went to where I got married to. I was sleep promoted, by the way. Um, and then from MCT, I went to the Stumps, 29 Palms. Mm. Not ended the world, but you can see it from there.
2: Okay, so 29 Palms is one of two places that the Joshua tree grows. And not to be all theological, but in the Bible, the 20, the uh, Joshua tree grows in two places, heaven and hell. And on earth, it grows in two places, Jerusalem and 29 Palms. <laughs> it does. Like, it does so we're not gonna we're not gonna you know but we're gonna it ain't <laughs> hell but you can definitely see it from there
0: absolutely but okay so now we're in fire so every now and then oh, <laughs> especially when you're out there doing sugar cookies
2: <laughs> you're bringing back so many bad memories right now oh man the flashbacks the mental strain so i go out get my thing
0: my groove on out in um com school Become a field radio operator, you know, I'm a PFC out of school. I'm feeling pretty strong. I'm feeling pretty confident. I get to the fleet. I get with my unit. And I go to one company, ELF company, and within my unit, they're like, hey, you wanna go get on a boat for six months? I'm like, let's do it. Right? Yeah, no, that didn't work out. My husband, my ex-husband, the second, went a little. For lack of a better term, shit, because didn't want me to go, and so like that got tanked. and so I went back to the to the battalion and back to the company, and they put me in a different company. They put me in Bravo Company. Well, everything was cool. I was learning, picking up from my seniors, you know, learning how to to, to communicate effectively with my staff and CEOs. I was a good little Marine. Mendez at the time did what she was told because that's how she grew up. So like you you do it and then you ask questions later. And so it made me that perfect little cog in that Marine Corps wheel that just keeps everything chugging and chugging. Well, probably about and see you gotta remember. My memory is a little fuzzy because not just because I'm old. But because um, I am 100% disabled due to PTSD because of um, sexual assault. So the timing, because I blocked it for so long, is fuzzy in my head. Um, I believe it was in my second year, and in- I pick up Lance Corporal time and grade, time and service. They tried to tell me I was not getting get promoted. I, I, I brought fresh pressed camis the day of my promotion. <laughs> I got promoted that day, by the way. Oh, I bet. So um, I'm Lance Corporal. They need somebody up at the battalion, you know, just to do like um, housekeeping trash, like um, sweeping, swabbing the decks and, you know, sweeping and swabbing the decks and cleaning up after hours. For the next day, and so I go down. I'm sent to um, to S one, and they're all, like using me as a runner and doing this and doing that, and you know, just pretty much just like an errand girl. Well, there was a sergeant in there, and you know, as a black woman, my life is not easy. It's not it's not as difficult as it could be. If there weren't laws and regulations that were put into place to ensure that for me now, but I still live in the skin every single day. And so it presents other obstacles that women with less melanin would have. I'll put it to you that way. And so, you know, it's hard enough being a woman in the court, but then you got to add that whole skin tone thing to it. So this guy, this sergeant, and me as a little ass corporal. I guess, yeah, thankfully, I never noticed it. Like, I was just there to work. I didn't pay attention to that kind of stuff. I'm pretty much, even now, 47 years later, oblivious when someone is flirting to me. And people tell me I'm flirtatious, and I'm like, I'm just having conversation.
2: Oh, this is just <laughs> my normal personality. Yeah. I'm, don't read into it. Right. I'm totally oblivious to that kind of
0: thing. And this that's regardless of gender, okay? <laughs> and so... Um, I didn't realize he had something going on in his brain where he thought I was being flirtatious. I, I guess if you call being nice, flirtatious, okay. Or pleasant or respectful, okay. So he kept me, it was about three days in. Now mind you, I'm married. I got kids, you know, two kids. And, 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 and I'm not about that life where... Like I might've had a lot of relationships, but I don't do that life where like I'm sneaking out on low. That's too much to juggle. Don't nobody have time to be trying to juggle an affair along with kids, along with a, a husband. And I'm putting that word nicely. <laughs> um, and a career, you know, nobody's got time for all that. This. And so I guess he thought he was gonna hit on me. So he makes me swap half a battalion. And I get done and I come back and I'm like, okay, sergeant," Or, okay. Yeah. Sergeant. Um, I'm done swabbing the deck. I'm going to take the mop back to the swab back to the mop closet, dump the dump water and I can, and can I go? And he was like, yeah, sure. You can go after that. So I go and I do what I'm supposed to be doing and I'm in the mop closet and, um, I'm dumping out the water out of the bucket. It's those big old yellow buckets that you see, like for big janitorial business. ones. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I'm dumping the water into what's like a sink, but it's on the floor. It's not really a sink, it's just got a, like a little raised area. So, yep. so
2: it can drain. It's a, it's a floor pan drain. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. And all of a sudden, I'm shoved from behind up against the wall someone has laid their full body weight on me. Now, I'm a five foot 11 woman. And at the time I weighed probably around 155 pounds. No, probably 145, but I was solid muscle. Okay. There wasn't an ounce of fat on my body, nowhere. I was strong. I'm a stronger woman. um, And I have strong bone structure. So like I can pretty much throw down if I were to be attacked or if I needed to. But this dude was six foot two and weighed all of 200 and some odd pounds and pushed me up against the wall, pressed his body as closely as he could to me, shoved his hands down my hands, and I was in shock. It took me a minute to register what was going on. Now mind you, let's go back to the point of conversation where I said my daddy was at duty my four years of active duty. (laughs) Like we legit got out in 2002 around the same time. (laughs) So this is happening in this moment. And at first I'm like, I can't believe this is about to happen to me. And then I'm like, this ain't going to happen to me. (laughs) And I can laugh about it now because I'm getting well balanced. And then it's like, oh, hell no, this is not going to happen to me. And I'm going to burn his ass when it's all said and done. And so I pushed as hard as I could off the wall, ripped his hand out of my pants, turned around and shoved him hard enough to make him stumble out of the broom closet Mm -hmm. and looked at him and said, if you ever put another finger on me again, I will burn you to the ground. Now, I'm a little less corporal saying this to a sergeant. That should never be something that a Lance Corporal can say the way that I said it. But it had to be said that way. See, this guy didn't know that my father was an active duty, Master Gunnery Sergeant. I knew what I meant when I said I would burn him to the ground.
2: Mm-hmm. And now, I- you knew exactly what that was. There, there, You knew every single possible implementation of mm-hmm. that
0: phrase. Oh, yeah. I knew exactly what I was talking about and so he starts shooting off at the mouth who do you think you are talking to me like this I'll have you written up for disrespect Da, 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 da blah 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 at this point he just sounds like Charlie Brown's teacher to me and I'm just so mad that all I see is red and I said you are out of your gd mind if you think that this is acceptable behavior of a Sergeant of the Marine Corps, Mm -hmm. it was like, we switched roles. Now, remember I'm older. Okay. You got some life experience, right? So it's life experience. It's, it's, it's mama Kim coming out and talking to him and saying, you have lost your mind devil. You don't know what you just got yourself into. Now I, yeah we were active duty at the same time but i'd never believed in nepotism i did not ever involve my father in my career because i wanted it to be something that i did online so instead of picking up my really expensive cell phone because oh my god they were so expensive (laughs) back then oh my god and they were just little flip phones it was awful the bill i think i ended up with, with a thousand dollar bill from one of those and it might have been it might have been like 18 or something i don't know i mean, paid off eventually but god but instead of picking up my cell phone and calling master gunner sergeant frazier i went back to my shop or i called my my gunny and i told him what happened he said to report back to you to the shop in the morning i did when I sit down with all my staff and COs, and I was like, this is what happened to me. And let's rewind because I forgot the most poignant part, most important part of this discussion. When I told him that he had lost his mind, he looked at me, and I'm going to use a word that nobody likes. But he looked at me and he said, nobody will believe you, nigger. I yes. Was afraid.
2: Oh my God! Yeah, he know he really did lose his mind.
0: Yeah, he lost his
2: mind. His entire upper cortices had ceased to function. Yeah. So you know,
0: I go in and I tell my staff and the story, and they're like, "Well, you know, they're getting hyped because, like me, I had a bunch of black staff and CO's. Like, Like think all of them except for one, and he was the one white dude that hung out with all the other black dudes. So like. They were all like, oh, what he said, excuse me? Yeah, yeah, it was, it was bad. And then they took it to the company office. And when my gun came back, kids sit me down and explained to me that the company office called down to S1, spoke to his staff in I see. Dude pretty much admitted that he called me a nigger, but denied the sexual assault claim. My first son didn't feel that it would be prudent to push it because it was my word against his. And because I was disrespectful to him, it could create. And I quote, it could create more problems for you in the long run, Mm. end quote. So what he did was bribe me with a chance to go over to Marine Corps Base. So there's an opening at the ID card center and um, it needed to be filled from someone within our battalion. And so of course, guess who got chosen? Yeah, and he, you know, here I am at 24 years old, not thinking straight, just been sexually assaulted, just been called a racial slur, and just been told by my command that it wasn't important enough for them to investigate. But I don't get that part of
2: it. But but they're they're, t- they're telling you they're not going to investigate because that would be better for you, right? I don't get Which that. Still kind of scrambles me. my brain because that does not make sense to me.
0: Mm-hmm. So at 24- now we're
2: going to ID card.
0: I don't get it. All I know is I'm going to the ID card center. And if I go to the ID card center, it's going to be amazing because I never have to go out in the field again. Cause at this point I'm single and it's hard to find childcare. Okay.
2: So yeah. husband number two is gone.
0: Right. 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 Yeah. He kicked him to the curb. And so like, um, you know, like, it was ideal and I thought I was winning because now I don't have to deal with all these other problems. I can go home, work a nine to five job, yada, yada, yada. So I go over there and I excel. Girl, I learn everything there is to learn about the ID blood center. Because like I am loving this. And as long as I'm there, I'm re-enlisting. Aaron, honestly, I was like, this is this is this is me. This is my fit. This is my click. I am reenlisting. And then I got into a little bit of a discussion with one of my gunny. Um, technically, I wasn't divorced. And back then, you couldn't be just separated. You had to be divorced. And I was dating another guy. And she knew the guy. She'd met him a thousand times. There and there. She even liked the kid. And so, like... Something came up where my ex-husband was, my soon-to-be ex-husband was mad about something. Oh, he wanted me to file divorce papers. And I was like, if you're in a hurry, you can go ahead and do that for yourself because, you know, I'm having to pay for this. And uh, he got mad and went to my gunny. And so my gunny was like this, that, the other. And then she was like, well, you're living with that, literally living with another dude. And I'm like, okay, but we've been separated for like ever.
2: (laughs) Like, we've no, already past, moved on. It's not coming back. Past the
0: legal amount of time that you have to be separated in North Carolina, okay, which I think is like a year. And so um I ended up getting sent back from my unit because she didn't like that I hadn't done the divorce papers. By then, I picked up Corporal E4. Um, first day back in the battalion, I go, I'm checking in. I go to BAS BA, to check in, standing in line, and lo and behold, look who comes walking down the hallway.
2: He is still there.
0: And he has picked up Staff and CEO. Okay. He comes over. He starts running his mouth to me. Oh, I see you got promoted. Mendez, da 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 I said, actually, staff started his now. Got divorced, too. You know, I'm talking his trash your hair's out of rags, blah, 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 blah. It totally wasn't out of rags, okay? He was just harassing me. Um, Even called my staff and COs to say they were out of rags, that it was out of rags, and they told him basically, go F himself, because they knew what he had done to me, and he better stop harassing. Well, I guess me coming back triggered him because six weeks after I get back from the Italian, his Lance Corporal clerk, he raped her on the desk. On her desk in the battalion, and she killed herself because of it. Um so yay, now I get to live with the survivor's remorse. I mean, because I triggered him being back. And I only know this because when it all came back down and they questioned me about what happened to me, they said it seemed very odd that he would do something like this because he was the ideal Marine of the year I was gone and they knew nothing about my sexual assault. Um, it was,
2: but that's not your doing.
0: No, I know that. But as a survivor you had later on in life as I'm processing stuff, it's not hard to say, Oh my God, what if, you know, um, I realize that that's very unhealthy,
2: um, nope, but I, think therapy it's it, I think it's something like that all of us that have gone through that. Right. Right. Experience. right. Like it's a
0: very similar experience to, to losing someone to combat. That's what I, I compare it to because she, she lost because in my mind, she lost because I wasn't strong, even though I tried to be strong. So like, it's a complicated thing. These are, and by the way, this runs about back to transitioning. Okay. All of this is going to come to a head later on. So that happened. And then I broke my ankle. <laughs>
2: so um, now we're dealing with a lot of emotional stress and yeah. a busted so we're, ankle. We're out
0: and we're like doing a field out or insertion um, type, uh, Practice. What is it? I don't know. I can't think right now. But anyhow, we're out doing our thing, playing capture the flag, and I'm I'm tall as hell, so I'm trying to bend over and run at the same time. <laughs> I step in it, and a hole in the inside of my foot touched the inside of my shin, and I was like, ah! <laughs> and, and and somebody said, "Shut up!" And I said, "Sorry, Mario. What?" I think I broke my fucking ankle. <laughs> <laughs> that was a, uh, that was an adventure. First it was broken. Then it wasn't broken. Then it was, Oh, six months later, it's broken. We're going to put you in a cast. Then it's like, you're going on the med board, but you're not going to get it because bones heal. So like the end of my service starts to become this thing where it's, it's uncomfortable for me to be there. It's just reinforcing the idea that this was probably a mistake. <laughs> you know, um, it's hard too, because for me, I have a tendency to... Um, I, I have a love-hate relationship with my service. I love the fact that I was... Under, or the, Rephrase that I am a marine. I love that. I am proud to tell people that now. But after I got out of the Corps, I became a hairdresser, and I didn't tell people for 15 years that I was marine.
2: Well, it's it's such an interesting dynamic to go from the moment that they place that what feels like a two ton emblem in your hand, the mm-hmm. day of the crucible, to you getting out of the service where everything seems to be unraveling beyond mm-hmm. the seams, like just blown apart from the inside out. You know, you've got command that's not supportive. They didn't follow through on, you know, when you came forward, which in my opinion is one of the bravest things you can do. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and, and it's like, y- you you feel like something you valued so incredibly much that it 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 almost betrays you mm-hmm. and then there's the identity thing that that comes with it because it's like wait a minute well what does that make me right because so much of our identity is paired is tied and now interwoven into that identity as a marine you know you you earned that title mm-hmm. but the marine corps did it, 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 it did that like yeah. wait a minute well the icing on the
0: cake for that though Aaron is that like at this point, the mid-board is almost done, and they're just, they've are they decided. But I'm still going to cast. Like, I'm still, like, it broke four times in that year. Uh, well, like eight months. In eight months, it broke four times. Just fracture after fracture, just new fractures. So anyhow, um, finally get that all squared away, whatever. In the meantime, I, I've made the decision, but I haven't mentioned to my command what my decision is yet. And so they're pushing and you are pushing and they're pushing and they promote me. Now I'm not going to say I didn't deserve to be promoted because I did. I went from from an antiquated, like really old school style of logistics because when I became a, a, a corporal, I took over a logistics shop, and then I uneffed that to the point that they. Decided to let me do the entire company. And I un that to the point that as an incorporator, I was going to back-to-time meetings and talking about what was going on within my company. Mm-hmm. Um, I was damn good at it. Again, office work, really, really good at it, right? Great customer service skills, da 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 blah Lived by the rule of the book because that's how Kim was raised. <laughs> and so, you know, like, An example is we had a field op coming up and one of my staff and CEOs wanted to use a radio set that was SL3 to a different vehicle. SL3 means that without that vehicle, without that Humvee, that radio set is not a complete radio set. Okay, Because you need the Humvee to attach the antenna to to make the communications work. So without that Humvee, it's just a very expensive piece of metal and wiring.
2: It's just a lawn um, ornament.
0: Right. So they wanted to swap out different radio set than vehicle because the vehicle needed to go to maintenance. So I said, no, this is me as a corporal. No, you cannot do that. I'm telling the staff and this. So then they go in the company offices. First the first sergeant comes to me. And I'm like, no, first sergeant. It says right here in ring order, you can't do that.
2: No, because the serial numbers are tied.
0: Right. And so then they take me to the to 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 the company commander, and he's like, Well, why can't you do this? And I was like, here's the book, sir. And then he looks at them and he's like, Well, then she said no. So no means no. That coupled with the fact that I was doing logistics for the company is what kind of brought my his attention to me. So now that we know that background, let's go back to Probably a few two or three months before I'm getting out, and I've been asking for a replacement that I can train. And every time I grab somebody like they tell me to, they snatch them right back from me, like they're trying to prevent me from training someone properly. This was an old tactic they used to do, and so like I get pulled into the company office, and my company commander is like, and this is after they promoted me sergeant. And my company commander's like, hey, are you going to re-enlist? You know, like they always do. And I'm like, sir, may I be, speak freely? And <laughs> He's like, yes. I said, no, sir. I have no intent on reenlisting." Well, why not? Truthfully, sir, because my kids. It's too tough on my kids. I'm always gone for my kids. And I have little girls. They need their mom. Mm-hmm. I, I've lived this life. I'm not going to live it with my kids. And so then he gets angry and person proceeds to tell me that terminal right is not a privilege or right, it's a privilege and I won't get it. Talk about transitioning. Yeah. So Sergeant at the time, Burris, who is now Sergeant Pope, ended up working. Okay, you know how like everybody does a check out and then on that last day they come in in civvies and they're like deuces. I'm out of here. You guys are losers. You're stuck in your contract. Bye. Yeah, no, not me. I had to wear full camis that day. I worked an entire day long putting vehicles in and out of maintenance and then had to go and sit at the battalion till 6.30 at night, knowing that if I did not pick my child up by 6.45 and it took 20 minutes to get from where I was at to the daycare, that they could call the cops on me. I had to sit there and wait to be wrote up for being overweight for two pounds, for two pounds of being overweight. Yeah. To make sure that if I chose to reenlist later, that I couldn't do
2: it. Because everything I, else in the, that had happened in the last 18 months, definitely paved the right. way for you ever want to be reenlisting.
0: Right. Right. Like you, you were really going to entice me by that. Okay, well, you know, you're gonna take my terminal. I guess I'm gonna have to build and go sign another four-year contract. Yeah, that's what I mean when I say it's bittersweet. I walked away from the Marine Corps wanting nothing to do with the Marine Corps to the point that I've been insured for years, Aaron, and my body broke down because of it. You know, I am I tease I tease my mom now because she's like, oh, you but know, got something going on. I'm going to see the doctor. It's good to see you taking care of yourself. And I my little sage here was like, Of course I'm gonna take care of myself. By the time I it's all said and done, I'm gonna be the six million dollar woman because is gonna fix everything that's wrong with me. I'm done with this. And everything that's wrong with me is everything that was wrong with me then. Meaning, like. The PTSD. I literally lost my mind. I was hearing voices, like people standing right behind me calling my name. Wasn't possible. Trying to process this trauma that came back during the Brett Kavanaugh um, hearings. Mm -hmm. Like it was like twenty years later, and it all comes flooding back out hypervigilant mm-hmm. panic attacks um just lack of sleep mm-hmm. oh that was the worst like i couldn't sleep than two hours a night for a while there it got so bad that i was afraid to leave my house at one point you know like it was bad bad these aren't things that they talk about when they tell you, they put you through those shitty little transition classes. Nope. You so know. how,
2: let's go forward a little bit. And so now we're out. Mm-hmm. Are you, were you married yet to your, to your current husband yet or no? No,
0: no, no. I actually married him in 06. So like, okay. I, I was out no two. I went to hair school, worked a little while, met this knucklehead. <laughs> and we ended up getting married probably about a year and a half later. And it was, it was probably the best thing that ever happened to me, honestly. He's he drives me nuts. But he's my husband, he's supposed to. You know, like he gets me. We are polar opposite. I'm the, hey girl, what's up? to the stranger and he's the oh god she's talking to the stranger and I'm just gonna walk away to not even notice and then I'm talking to him and he's like the butler from Mr. Deeds he's not there (laughs) it's the most ridiculous thing but we work we work you know we balance each other out so but you know like for a long time for a long time I hated the murder board I did
2: Broke, the, the Marine Corps itself broke your trust.
0: Yeah, well, they broke my heart
2: because
0: mm-hmm. I believed in it. I believed mm-hmm. in it. When I was a kid, I didn't see the inner workings. I just knew my dad was pain like, and he was the most logical, most loving, empathetic person that I ever knew. So that was the expectation that I had. And that wasn't the reality, mm-hmm. you know? I mean, it hurts my heart to a certain extent because like I feel like if I had a stayed, I could have made change. But I also logically I know there's no way I would be so bad off now if I just stayed. Because mm-hmm. let's be real, it's it's brainwashing. It's brainwashing with purpose. It's meant to save your life. It's like now if you hear a certain sound, you know you're gonna your body's gonna automatically hit the deck because that's the way it works. And when you're in a situation where you're, there's fire uh, live fire coming at you your body needs to be able to re- react automatically what mm-hmm. they don't tell you about is all these same ticks that they instilled in you don't work for you in the civilian world they make it more difficult mm-hmm. because there's no comparison to the two Marine Corps or, or the military structure Structure, structure, structure. The civilian world is chaos, ebb and flow. It's a free for all. The two don't meet. They don't coincide with each other. You know, like it doesn't, they don't reconcile. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Um, and so when you do transition, you have to think in terms of what is best for me. And because you've ta- been taught to, to, always do what's best for the group. It, mm-hmm. it can create problems in the long run where you tend to sacrifice little pieces of yourself for the greater good. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm all about the greater good. You know me personally. Mm-hmm. You know you know what I'm about and things that I've got going on right. um, to try and just make this world a better place. Um as well as I can in the small sphere that I can do it in. Um, But I've also had to learn through experience and bad relationships to to recognize that I am an individual and keep that little bit of individuality, bring it back to me. They Mm -hmm. stripped it away from me when I went to boot camp. I wasn't even allowed to refer to myself in the first person. Okay. Now I need to get that little bit of me and bring it back inside me. Mm-hmm. The only way to do that, and I'm going to sound like public service announcement, but I'm telling you, I'm a firm believer in therapy and medication. I am. A, I will also tell you that I was 100% against medication for a very long time until I wasn't.
2: Mm-hmm. Until so I- you understood that it... it- it's real. Right. It, it's actual brain chemistry. It's not something you're making up. It's not you're not lazy. You're not. No, oh, you're, you're just oversensitive. Sensitive. You're yeah. No, no, no,
0: no, no. This it's
2: none of that. Chemical. This is it's like chemical in, in your
0: head. Like your synapses what? don't fire the same way once this traumatic event has triggered you. I would never be the chem that I was five years ago. 10 years ago, 15 years ago, or 20 years ago. I recognize that. It took me a very long time, okay? When I first realized that I needed help and I needed to be medicated, I felt confident because here I'm on the meds and like it was to a point that it was so intense that the medication backed me off enough that I felt some relief, but it didn't It didn't back me off as much as it should because it was the right med. Um, Mm -hmm. So, like, you have to play the game with your meds, too. You have to to, to be truthful with your psychiatrist. You have to tell them exactly what you're feeling inside, whether you're fearful that they're going to like, for instance, suicidal ideation. Mm -hmm. I have what is known as suicidal ideation. Yep. I don't actively want to kill myself. I absolutely don't. I mean, look at me. I'm amazing. (laughs) So, you know, I don't actively want to kill myself. But that doesn't stop from every now and then, thought floating into my head. You should go blow your brains out. I'm not going to act on it, but it's a it's a it's a literal lack of chemistry in my brain that allows these flutters of thought to push through. When I would never, like, I it just I'm just. it's just hard to explain to someone that has not been in the situation, like you said. Um, So I am a proponent of medication. I I believe medication works. I am the, hello, I'm like the the, the poster boy for it because like, I want to be well. Mm -hmm. I got diagnosed in 2018, okay? It is 2021 and I just got moved off with two of my medications. A week ago with my last appointment, my doctor, my psychiatrist, my psychiatrist, I only have to talk to every four months. When I started, I was talking to her, calling her so much swear She must have been rolling her eyes and sighing because it was like every single decision I made, I didn't trust.
2: You know, Um, but it was 16 years after you got out. Yeah, 16 years after I got out. That is a decade and a half Mm -hmm. to really start, you know, uh, not just healing, but actually going, oh my gosh, there's this box that I have moved from apartment to apartment to home to home to whatever coast to whatever street to everything else. And you've added other boxes to it. You've added other stuff to it, but you've never opened up that box again. And I mean... 16 years of dust and everything else. And you're like, do I really even want to open this damn box? But you're, you know, you have to.
0: Mm -hmm.
2: And I'm like, "It." that's, that's where the healing comes is it's like, I have to look at this again. Mm -hmm. I have to figure out what happened, how everything went down and how I'm going to move forward because Mm -hmm. it's part of your life, but it is not defining you.
0: Exactly.
2: That's it's exactly. just a chapter in the book. I got to
0: tell you, we opened in the box. Girl. It wasn't so, actually, it wasn't something that I, I actively did. I had a coworker. Um, mm-hmm. I'm a retired hairstylist now. I'm retired because of my nip level. Um, But I had a coworker who I was having a lot of physical issues and he knew that I was in the core. He's the only one that knew that I was in the core at the time. And he just one day he was like, why don't you just go to the VA? And I'm like, mm-mm, mm-mm, no. Mm-mm, mm. Cause to me, in my brain, that equated dealing with the Marine Corps again. And I wasn't trying to deal with that. Mm-mm. So every time he would complain about something physically being wrong with me, he would say, VA, VA, VA. I get we've had conversation about it since. And I thanked him tremendously for kind of giving me the gentle push that I needed little sarcastic ass that he is. But um in at the time I didn't see it as that. I was just like, oh, no, we're shutting down the conversation. Hell oh, girl, half my clients didn't even know I was Marine. I kept that shit shut down. Like I was not trying to tell folks. The was, nice
2: p- the nice part about being women is that we can put yoga pants on and nobody sees a US Marine. Right. <laughs> I can put my hair down, I can put on some mascara and ain't nobody gonna look at me and go you were in the Marine Corps for 12 years? No, girl, that's hard. I couldn't right. imagine doing something
0: that different. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, no, like um, legitimately, it's it's this is all stuff that you have to think of in terms of transition because like regardless of which branch of service you're in, we were all pretty much taught the same thing. Um, and so like you need to take into account that these are things that were drilled into you during your boot camp experience. And during your service, so that when you go out into the real world, it's not, you can realize that you don't have to live that way. Mm -hmm. And that realization that I don't have to be Sergeant Kim anymore is just mind-blowing. I think it's, and I love my dad to death, but I think it's a big problem with him. like. He went from Marine Corps to seminary in the church and like, he doesn't have anything to do now. There's time. We need to learn time of peace, a time of peace where we can just reflect and meditate on the things that we've done in our life and enjoy our moments instead of still living that regimented life. Now, I'm not saying give all of it up because like there's some things, you better put the remote with the remote
2: belongs i want to find the remote one i'm looking for it. but my you know, bed so still I'm, has hospital corners on it
0: right right but you don't. there's
2: some things that will just know that yeah. no i like that
0: stuff though we can just let it melt away Aaron. Mm-hmm. Yeah. and the letting go part of it is the hardest part that's where transition is tough you know letting go of the hurt or the pain or the Learnings and teachings that you don't necessarily need for a day-to-day civilian life. That's
2: the hard part. It's letting go of something that you've held on to so long that your your knuckles have gone numb, and now you gotta flex your hand again and put it down yeah. because it no longer serves you. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So now I'm just like
0: old Lady Kim. Working. my job is to work on me, my physical, both my physical and mental situation. That's the only job I have. Um, I am doing things like I've started two, and people think it's corny, but you know, like they're Facebook groups. But I've got two Facebook groups. Do you mind if I mention them? Go ahead. Okay. One of them I started last year, it's called the Kindness Corps C O R P S just like the Marine Corps, um, y'all come on out and join it. Basically what we do is we give $150 grants to people in tight squeezes that have emergent situations like, oh my gosh, I don't have money for groceries. Oh my gosh, I need to pay my electric bill. was a little bit higher than I expected it to be. And so it's just a group of people that come together and we crowdsource small um, issues for people in need and it's a no questions asked kind of thing we trust that the person actually needs it and and the the purpose is to to teach people how to give freely Mm -hmm. because honestly when you give something to someone it is theirs Mm -hmm. and you have no say on how they do it so When I give, I give freely. I give with the spirit that I'm trying to do this to help you. Um, What you do with it is your responsibility. So that's one. And then I'm currently making a group. We aren't gonna start posting until tomorrow, I think. Yeah, we start posting tomorrow, but it's called um, True Stories of People of Color, from People of Color, True Stories from People of Color.
2: Okay, so I was going to say, tell us a little bit about the purpose of that one.
0: Okay, so the purpose of this one. Okay, so, you know, obviously racism is a hot button issue for me. I'm a black woman. Come on, let's be real. So the idea behind the True Stories group is to get an assortment of people of color to tell stories of racial incidents in their lives in the hopes that the people that are reading the stories can do that without judgment or doubt. Um, Because that's a huge problem with Caucasian people and the Black community. We tell our stories and you don't believe us. And so you need to come in, if you're going to come to this group, you need to come in with the idea that These things have happened. When I share some of these stories with you, you're gonna be appalled at some of the things that have happened to me. One of those stories I've already shared with you, obviously, um, my sexual assault. Um, But the other part of that is, and I'm gonna say this as gently as I can, it is not my responsibility or any of the responsibility of any person of color to teach Caucasian people how to not be racist. So like this is uh, an assortment of Caucasian people Mm -hmm. that I know in my life that have come together and are willing to ask hard questions to other Caucasian people and are willing to answer the questions that Caucasian people have but don't feel comfortable saying Mm -hmm. in mixed company. Because they mm-hmm. don't want to be judged. Now, granted. We know the history. we all know what it's all about. We all know history's trying to write itself. And that's a good thing. And I can understand if it were the type of situation where black people are angry. We are angry. We, we, we have the right to be angry after everything that has happened to us in order to get his, us here. I mean, for crying out loud, I didn't even know where I was from in Africa until a few months ago when I got my DNA tested. Like, I had no idea that I'm mostly Nigerian. No clue. I'm also 21.1% or I'm sorry, 21.6% English and Irish. That's from slavery. Wow. Makes great missing race, race from slavery, you know, it's like master's. Unfortunately, yeah. did things to their slaves that they shouldn't have done, and, you know. So, like, um, I would have not known my my DNA background without doing that test. I had no idea where I was. From. Most Black Americans have, um, like, in my generation, you've got people in my generation who don't know where they're from because their great grandparents weren't born in hospitals. We weren't allowed. Um, and so the idea of the group is to you know, in my opinion, let me rephrase that, in my opinion, the only way this changes is if I, as a community, black people as a community, get white people to tell other white people to stop it, okay? The only way this works is something we all learned in the military, police your own. Because I could sit here and tell you all day long the sad stories that I got going on over here. But unless you can relate to it and see it from my perspective, you're not gonna get it from me. But if Aaron tells you the same story, hey, my girl Kim did this, that, and the other, there is more likely a chance that you're going to be open to listen Because systematically, we've been all told that Black people are violent, that Black people are um, ignorant, and that we're animals. I mean, come on. The Constitution said we're only three-fifths a person. So that's what the second group is for. It is to try and and bring some cohesion to our country. You know, Mm -hmm. like, even if it's just a small pocket of it. You know, we can be angry. It's okay to be angry, but you can't be mad, not do nothing about it, and then have the audacity to talk trash. That's not how this works. Either you're going to help fix the problem or you're part of the problem.
2: Mm
0: -hmm. Um, And that's my current thing. I'm also starting a car club because I drive Miss Daddy. Miss Daddy is a 2008 first edition Dodge Challenger SRT8 with the 6.1 Hemi. And I love her. She's the absolute, my absolute dream car. And I bought her last year for my birthday.
2: And so I'm starting. Which the pictures of Miss Betty are just beautiful. Oh God, I love her so much. I'm also a car fan and I just. (sighs) I love her so much. There's some vehicles that are just. She makes
0: me feel so safe. Like, I know if any funkiness is going on, and I'm gone. Don't have to be involved in that. So um, the car club is called Cars and Coffee. Now, Cars and Coffee is a national thing. Um, They have them all over the United States. They have a Cars and Coffee USA. They have a Cars and Coffee individual state, like mine is NC. And then my group is going to be um, my specific town, Cars and And so the idea is to, I'm renting a space, a parking lot and an outlet mall. And what we're going to do is we're going to do meetups every fourth Sunday, I'm sorry, every fourth Saturday of the month. We're going to go out there and we're going to put our cars on display. We're going to chum it up and, you know, I'm going to have some vendors out there for audio systems and lighting systems and tires and all kinds of stuff. And we're just going to sit around and we're going to sip our coffee and let other people come and enjoy our vehicles. You know, it's kind of like a car show without any competition. Um, but I also have a police presence coming to my event. And the idea of this is to try to be the bridge between my local police department and my community, my Black community you know, I want to do real tangible things, Aaron. I want to be out there in the public, you know, just making sure that Black lives matter. Honestly, that's where I'm at right now. Like, I went to the Million Man March last year. It was incredible. Um, it was the most eye-opening experience of my life, and I honestly believe that, you're going to laugh, but like, my breakdown was something that was meant that fate put in my path to slow me down and to allow me time to do these, these, for lack of a better term, charitable type things. You know, like to do these, these different groups where people interact with people because I invest in people, not things. Not things. People are where it's at. People's what's most important.
2: Yeah. But that's bringing back that, uh, that little bit of your identity. That's your fingerprint that you can put back out on the world to make it a better place. Mm-hmm. That's that, that print to, you know, to make the the tapestry of this entire world history a little bit better, add mm-hmm. a little bit of color to it. Yeah. I mean That's that original
0: just, Tim that was like that little girl that always just wanted to make everybody happy, you know?
2: I love that. You know, All so- right. So we're going to wrap it up real quick. Give me your number one. You got 30 seconds of advice. This is your elevator pitch. What is that one thing that you just want everybody in the world to know?
0: Be honest. You can put pink sprinkles on poop and call it almond roach all you want. But in the end, it's just a turd and I'm not going to eat it there's no reason to not be truthful with yourself. Okay. Being I'm truthful never going to
2: get over the pink sprinkles gross, on shit.
0: baby. Right. Right. I probably just ruined chocolate nuts for you forever, <laughs> but no, seriously, like truthful, being true to yourself, being truthful with yourself leads to growth. And if you are not growing, you are standing still.
2: Actually, technically, biologically speaking, if you're not growing, you're dying.
0: Exactly. So, that's all I got for you today.
2: All right. Well, thank you so much for joining us. It has been a pleasure listening to your story. Um, as hard as it was in certain points, because you your story echoes mine a lot. It, it's just been a really cool experience. I, I hope you enjoyed joining us. I, it's been great. Um, on behalf of myself, the my fellow co-host Bob Bakken, Mike Orban, um, thank you for being here.
0: Oh, absolutely! I wouldn't have been anywhere else today, girl. Okay. All right. Love you to um, bits.
2: All right. So, as we wrap up, this has been Stigma Free Vet Zone podcast. Um, this episode has been made in part uh, possible in part by a donation from the Charles E. Kubli Foundation. I want to say thank you to our technical team and support staff that uh, make this episode and this podcast a reality. For Stigma Free Vet Zone, my name is Aaron Schofnagel. Thank you so much for joining us.
1: Thank you for listening to the Stigma Free Vet Zone podcast. Your feedback is welcomed and encouraged. You'll find contact information on our webpage, OrbanFoundationForVeterans.org. While you're there, please consider making a contribution. Donations help us continue to bring greater hope, understanding, and resolution on issues of civilian readjustment for all military veterans and families. Anyone who donates to the podcast will receive a free copy of the book, Sold Out, Conquering the Experiences of War, by Michael Orban. On behalf of Michael Orban, Bob Bach, and Aaron Schraufnagel, thanks for joining us, and please tune in again.